morning, everyone, and take God's Word now and join me in the upper room with Jesus in John chapter 14, and I want to speak to you on the subject, an invitation to a peace-filled life. Just a bit of context. This is Holy Week. This is Passion Week. And as the Lord rode into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, He stopped along the way initially to weep over the city and to pray over the city of Jerusalem. They had rejected Him and rejected the peace that was available to them, and judgment was on the way. Then on that Palm Sunday morning on the back of a colt, He was worshiped as a king, Hosannas. Spent the next four days in Jerusalem teaching and healing. And then we come to Thursday night. And Jesus has gathered His disciples in that upper room for final instructions and in reality to give them His living legacy. What you have in the upper room with Jesus and the disciples, now eleven of them in that Judas has departed. But you have His last will and testament, and with it these amazing promises that come from His heart to our hearts to this very day for what He promised those men in the upper room with the Last Supper now transitions to the Lord's Supper and all of the promises, the Passover Supper, now the Passover Himself, the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. And as He gathers these disciples, He, he promises them in the midst of all this dark night and the darkness that shrouded them and the struggles these disciples were facing. He spoke of the promise of prayer and the promise of the Holy Spirit. He spoke of the promise of heaven. He spoke of truth and how to live in this truth. And he spoke of joy, which will be our subject on Easter Sunday morning. But he spoke of peace. And in the 27th verse of chapter 14 of John, this rich and full verse, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Stop letting your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. And then in the very last words from chapter 13 where he washed the disciples' feet and began to speak to them, 14, 15, and 16, and before the high priestly prayer of Christ that is recorded for us in John chapter 17, the last final words recorded from the upper room that night are verse 33 from John 16. He said, these things I've spoken to you, all these things, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Be courageous, be bold, be brave, take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. I have conquered the world. Everyone wants peace, but very few people find it in this life. Peace is a well-known word and the pursuit of almost every human being, peace. We live in a troubled world. To even speak of this is almost redundant. We know it. We see it. There's an absence of personal peace, family peace, national peace, 
global peace. Just this week, we've seen the disruption of peace. Once again, a horrific school shooting, leaving three precious nine-year-old children dead, three adults murdered, and a city, Nashville, and a nation torn apart again to see something of this terrible nature. We continue to pray for the families of those who have suffered such loss. We pray that they will know the very peace that we're talking about today, the peace of God. We've seen just this week political peace broken with the indictment of former President Donald Trump, which as you most likely know if you keep up with things will create not peace but struggle in our nation politically. There's been tornadoes in the South to disrupt people's lives in an incredible way. We in this nation are in a mental health crisis, a pandemic that followed the pandemic of emotional health and instability. Just got an article this week from the New York Post that says hospitals are crowded with young people, kids who are doing themselves harm. So it's not just adults, but our young people, our children. They hear of this chaos, they hear of these disruptions, and they're afraid, they're frightened. So we have this pandemic now of anxiety and fear and loneliness and brokenness and despair. The new term we often hear is called deaths by despair. People just give up in despair, no hope, no peace in their lives, and they take their own lives. We know about the disintegration of the home and the breakdown of the family. This causes such harm in our nation, starts in our homes. The divorce rate continues to spiral upward. And people who don't get divorced, their homes are often racked and fractured by marital discord and family struggle, domestic violence. Then there's sexual abuse, including the horrendous mutilation of children in the name of so-called pseudoscience. As a result, where do we stand as a nation in these days? We've lost confidence. We've lost confidence in institutions. We've lost confidence in our government. We've lost confidence in medical institutions and scientific exploration. We, we've lost confidence, so many have lost confidence in religion. Church attendance is at an all-time low. And religion is no longer considered to be an important factor in people's lives by so many. The institution of marriage is under attack, and many people no longer believe in this institution. There is no peace around us. And so many people find peace, they hope, in substitutes, artificial, superficial drugs, art, uh, alcohol, or entertainment, or recreation, or seeking success or religious experiences of some kind, Buddhism and transcendental meditation type experiences, breathing. I was listening to a podcast just this week 
This guy was saying that he could hold his breath for seven minutes. He trained himself to do it. And the whole point was about learning how to breathe. And I'm sure there's value in this in terms of our health and well-being. But in terms of any kind of peace, that's only momentary. As long as you can hold your breath, I pursue. There is a peace, however. Jesus said that doesn't come from the world, but it comes from me. It comes from God. And it only comes from God. And this peace is supernal. I looked up that word just to make sure I had it right. It means from above. So this peace is supernal. And it is supernatural, not superficial. It is the peace that only God can give. It is spiritual peace. It is internal peace. And it's something that Jesus gives us, and when he gives us this peace, what he gives the world can't take away. The world doesn't give it, and the world can't take it away. In the Bible, there is a familiar word in the Old Testament, shalom. It's a very common word used to this very day among the Jewish people. If you are around Jewish people, you may hear them greet one another with the words shalom, or the word shalom. And it means peace. And beyond just the simple definition of peace, the word shalom means well-being. It means contentment. It means wholeness, wellness, this shalom. Completeness, contentment, satisfaction, wholeness. So when a person greets you with the word shalom, they're not saying, don't fight me, peace. They're saying, they're saying blessing to you, peace to you, well-being to you, satisfaction to you. What a beautiful greeting. Dr. Jeremiah Johnson has written an entire book during the pandemic period on this word, shalom, is the title of the book. I would encourage you to get it. So here is this, this peace. It's the same kind of peace that we read about in the book of Numbers that we now sing about. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May his, he lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, peace. The Greek word, the compatible word in the New Testament for peace is arene, and it really speaks of stability and serenity and tranquility. The world would speak of peace in terms of the absence of conflict. And do you know how many peace treaties have been broken in the world, in the history of the world? All of them. And in the last days, there will be wars and rumors of wars. But so often people look at peace as the absence of conflict or, you know, a stress-free life or no longer dealing with struggles or problems in life. Again, this is superficial. This is temporary. Jesus himself said in verse 33, as we noted earlier, that in this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus understood our troubled hearts and our troubled world. 
But Jesus gives so much more. God gives us something greater, and that is real peace. What you can even describe as perfect peace, lasting peace. Jesus is saying here, I am giving you my peace. This is not something that you find. This peace finds you. You don't find peace. The peace of God finds and defines you. Jesus is the source of our peace. Now, when Jesus says, my peace I'm giving to you, think about what he was going through. He had spent the last three years of his life hounded by the haters, suffocated with persecutors and oppressors, those who lied about him, the constant pressure on his life of those who needed him, wanted his touch, his power. Jesus was under duress in that effect throughout his life and ministry in particular. And this is Passion Week. The passion of Christ is already pouring out. It's Thursday night, hours before his arrest and his trial and his death on the cross, the execution of crucifixion, the most violent, violent death you could possibly imagine, hanging, hanging in nakedness and shame and ignominy before a mocking world. All this was on the way, and Jesus knew it. The cross was not an accident. Jesus came to die on the cross. He lived under the shadow of his own death and of the cross his entire life. And so now, hours before the event, he says to his disciples, my peace. It's stunning to see the calmness and the courage of Jesus as he stands before wicked religious rulers, as he stands before the Roman Pilate himself. And Pilate's a, a madman. A confused man, a double-minded man, and yet Jesus stands before him when he's being questioned multiple times with peace and calmness. How could he do this? How is it even possible? How could Jesus be so peaceful in the midst of this terrible storm, in the face of his own death? He makes this promise, my peace I give to you. And now the time has come to say goodbye to his disciples. And before he goes, he's saying, I want to make you this promise. I'm giving you what I have. I'm giving you this peace that is in me, this calmness, this confidence, even in the face of death of the worst kind. Here is my peace. So what is peace? What is this peace that Jesus gives? Well, in the Bible, there really are three kinds of peace that we're going to mention today. There is peace with God, and there's the peace of God, and there's the coming promise of peace when Christ comes again. 
I've said that peace is this gift from God, so what is it? Well, perhaps the best way to explain this peace with God is to turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. In our essential gospel series, we camped here in chapter 5 of Romans for a while. And by the way, to all of our guests today, we have a free book, my book, The Essential Gospel. My message is from the book of Romans. We would love for you to take that home with you as our gift to you. So in Romans 5 and verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is peace with God. The Bible speaks of the gospel, the good news of peace. What is the gospel of peace? It is the salvation that brings God, holy God, and sinful man together reconciled. We were born in rebellion against God. You say, I didn't know I was fighting God. I didn't know there was, I was resisting God. Yes, every person is born with a sin nature. And because of that sin nature, we sin. And when we sin, we are at war with God. You say, I didn't know I was at war with God. I don't feel like I'm at war with God. Yes, every human being in the natural state is at war with God. And so how does the war end? How do we get right with God? How are we reconciled with God? The word in Romans 5 is justified. That is, we are made righteous. Every sin, past, present, and future, we stand before God holy and righteous. It's more than just a fresh start or a new beginning. It is a righteous standing before God. And how is this possible? How is this peace possible? It happens at the cross when mercy and righteousness kissed one another. Peace comes when we have a right relationship with God and ends the war. The final words on the cross, Jesus said to Telestai, it is finished, which means accomplished, done. It's over. What's over? The battle is done. The battle for the souls of men, the accomplishment of the atonement, what Christ has done for us on the cross makes it possible for sinful, wicked humanity to have a relationship with God. This is peace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Our word, our message is a message of reconciliation. It is redemption and reconciliation that we are made right with God. And you will never have peace in your life until you have peace with God. Do you have peace with God? Have you made peace with God by repenting of your sin and receiving Christ into your life to know that you're forgiven and changed? God loves you. He sent Jesus, his only son, to take your place on the cross. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Verse 21 of that same chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians says that, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become righteous, the righteousness of God 
in him. This is peace with God. We are no longer enemies of God. We are no longer estranged and alienated from God. We are forgiven. The war is over. The rebellion has stopped. And if you are saved, you have this deep sense of shalom, of peace, knowing that your sins are forgiven, knowing that Christ is living in your life, knowing that you're on your way to heaven. I've heard many people speak of their salvation experience when they, when they come to Christ as saying, I just felt such peace. You've been struggling with sin. You've been struggling with addiction. There's a turmoil and a, and a war in your soul, but the war ends when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, and there is such peace in your life. That's peace with God. We are saved. We are secured. We are satisfied. We can say, like we sing with gusto, the great hymn, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Romans 15, 13, one of my favorite verses says, may the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy and believing that you may abound in hope. So this peace that we have in God is not passive. It's not passivity in life. In fact, there are some things that we fight for. We're told to fight the good fight of faith. We know we're in a spiritual battle. And so we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the armor of God, we, we do fight. We, we fight against evil. We are called to stand up for what is truth and what is righteousness. This is why we fight for the sanctity of life. This is why we fight for the sacredness of marriage. We, we resist all moral uh, compromise in our culture. Right now, just this week, we've been dealing with the issue of gambling in Texas, and gambling is bad for Texas, and there are those who want to expand gambling, whether it's casino gambling or online sports betting or any kind of gambling. We've seen the result of this. We know what it does to people. I can recount many occasions when I've spoken to people whose lives and homes are ravaged by gambling, and it's an addiction, it's an entry drug. That's not my subject today, but you stand up against those things which are wrong, which are morally wrong. And therefore, you fight in this culture. We don't just lay down. We don't leave the battlefield. We are in the battle. But we do it with this confident, triumphant peace. This peace, again, it's not passive. It is courageous. Jesus said, be brave. I've overcome the world. Be courageous. This peace that we have is joyous and celebratory. We live in this peace and this joy. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So there's another kind of peace, and that peace is peace, the peace of God. Peace with God is a right relationship with God when you are reconciled to God. But then comes peace, the peace of God. And this has to do with our own tranquility and serenity and well-being internally, spiritually. Here's my definition of peace. Peace is the inner harmony enjoyed by the believer who is living in alignment 
to the will of God. You just might want to write that down. Peace is the inner harmony enjoyed by the believer who is living in alignment with the will of God. We're told in the Scripture to pursue peace. You said, Pastor, I thought you just said we don't find peace, peace finds us. Absolutely. But when we have this peace, like all the blessings of God and promises of God, we must access the peace. We must appropriate what God has given. And He has given us both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're told that He is the God of peace. Jesus is is the Lord of peace. He said, my peace I give to you. We know that the Holy Spirit, who He promises there in the upper room for all of us, the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace. So you might say this is the serenity of the Trinity. The serenity of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit gives us this peace. This is the Lord's legacy. This is what God gives us. It is a transcendent peace, a triumphant peace. The world's peace is a pseudo peace. It's a temporary pleasure, but God's peace is internal. But we must access it. And how do we, how do we access the peace of God? Because frankly, just as Jesus told these disciples, he said, stop letting your hearts be troubled. Our hearts are often troubled. We battle with fears and anxiety and depression and some even despair. We battle with sin and the guilt that comes as a result of disobeying God. And that disrupts the peace in our lives. So how how do we access this peace? How do we maintain the peace? Isaiah 26 and verse 3, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed, fastened on Him. You see, the more you look to God, the more you know Him. And the more you know Him, the more you love Him. And the more you love Him, the more you trust Him. So when you think and concentrate and get your eyes off the tribulations in our lives, the circumstances that come, the winds that blow, the storm, all the rest. You're in the eye of the storm. There is a calmness within when you are fastening and fixing your eyes, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Again, Isaiah 26, 3, a verse we all ought to know as followers of Jesus. You will keep him in perfect peace. Who has perfect peace? Those who keep their minds and hearts fixed, fastened, focused, on Him. One of the great stories of the Bible is we've been, in the Bible in a year, I've just been, of course, reading and reflecting on these great stories of the Bible and these Old Testament stories with all the wars and the battles and the kings whose names I had to work to pronounce all the way through. You're not the only one. But, you know, these stories just come alive and now over 50 Nearly 15 millions have downloaded the Bible in a year, and so we're grateful for that and more to come. But one of the great stories, we were just reading and and responding to it uh, the other day, and it had to do with Jehoshaphat and uh, a great king, and the armies, the Assyrian armies were attacking, and they had no chance. The Israelites had no chance. They were overwhelmed 
they were overcome by the prospect of sure defeat and death. And so Jehoshaphat, good king Jehoshaphat, what did he do? He went to the Lord. He looked to the Lord. And he said, Lord, we don't know what to do. Ever been there? Lord, I don't know what to do. My child, Lord, is sick. Lord, my marriage is broken. My body is sick and ill. I don't know what to do. Look at our country, Lord. We don't know what to do. It's what Jehoshaphat said. My spouse has died. God, I don't know what to do. That's what Jehoshaphat said. He said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Lord, we look to you. That's the perfect peace that is promised. And when we look to him and lean into him, then the peace begins to flow in our lives. Jesus said in another passage of Scripture that we should note on this subject in Matthew chapter 6, you ever battled worry or anxiety? Can I get an amen? Amen. Well, what did Jesus say about that in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For these things the Gentiles seek. Just translate that, unbelievers. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, the things that you need, the things that are necessary in your life, He said, will be added to you. Jesus said, don't worry about anything. And so to worry is to break the command of Christ himself. Worry never solved a problem. Worry never dried a tear. Worry is like sand in the machinery, sand in your gas tank. And so when we worry, we're the Anglo-Saxon word, for worry is wergen, which means it's a picture of a wolf strangling a sheep. So it's emotional strangulation. And of course, worry destroys peace in our lives. That's why Jesus says, don't do it. You know, I've, I've read, you know, self-help books, and many of these self-help books are helpful and positive, but So often on the subject of worry or anxiety, it says, you know, set aside some time in your day where you just worry about everything you need to worry about and get it over with, I guess. No, Jesus said, don't worry at all. Don't worry. Rather, seek God. That's what it means to focus, to seek God and to trust Him. You look within, it's been said, you'll be depressed. You look without and you will be stressed. You look at Christ and you will be at rest. It's the peace of God. 
Then there's the iconic scripture of Philippians 4. Turn to Philippians 4. We should look at this before we close this message. The Apostle Paul, not in a church or a temple, but in prison. He himself, though persecuted, is at peace. And so he he gives us the word of the Lord in verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, with grateful prayer for everything. You know, if it's big enough for you to worry about, it's big enough for you to pray about. And prayer, let me just say, is vitally connected with peace in in your life. No prayer, no peace. So he said, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what happens? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. That is, you can't explain it. How many times have I been with people in the most difficult, dangerous, destructive situations in their lives? How many times have I been with people at a bedside where loved ones are breathing their last or they themselves are breathing their last, but they say, I am at peace. There's such peace that you can't explain. It's not normal. It's not natural. It's not fake. It's not phony. It's not hyper. It's just real. One of my heroes in life was Dr. Adrian Rogers, the great preacher of Bellevue Church in Memphis. He's been in heaven a number of years now. Do you know the last words of Dr. Adrian Rogers just before they were putting one of those machines on his face? He said, I am in perfect peace and gave two thumbs up. You can't explain this. There are no words when you experience this peace with God and of God. And what happens? This will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. And go on. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever things are true and whatever things are noble and whatever things are just and whatever things are pure and whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So, do you know, let me just give you a simple way to experience peace. The peace of God. Think. Pretty simple. Think. Think about God and His mercies and His grace. Think about what He has accomplished for you. Think. Think deeply of the truths of God's Word and the promises of God's Word. When you read these these attributes, whatever things are true and noble and just and pure and lovely, this is all God. God is pure. God is just. God is noble. God is pure. It's why we worship Him. It's why we look to Him. And he said in verse 9, these things you've learned and received and heard in me also, these do. That is, obey God. Do what God has called us to do, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, we have the God of peace, and we have peace, the peace of God. The God of peace 
to guard us. He's with us every step of the way. He's our companion. He's our good shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So we have the God of peace to, to guard us and to govern us, and there, then we have the peace of God to guard us as well, because the word there means to garrison about. Your mind will be guarded by the, by the presence of God's peace in your life. So this as Jesus began this chapter 14, is the cure for heart trouble. Are you troubled? Are you heart sick? Jesus said, stop letting your heart be troubled. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We celebrate the resurrection because he lives and this legacy that we have, oh, the legacy of our Lord. Peace. Peace with God, the peace of God, and one final peace in just a sentence, the peace that we will have when Christ comes again. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. This world will never have peace until the Prince of Peace comes again. And when he comes, they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and the children will put their hand over the hole of a snake. And there will be peace on earth and the, and the kingdom of God will cover the world as waters cover the sea. And Christ shall reign, our risen Redeemer, who's coming with great peace for all of those who know and trust in Him. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads with me in prayer, every head bowed and every eye closed. Do you know this peace? Do you have peace with God? Are you reconciled with God? Have you made your peace with God? God is reaching out in love to you. He is extending, but you've got to, his hand of peace, but you must lay down your sword of rebellion. You must put aside your resistance and say, yes, Lord, I give my life to you. I believe you died for me and rose again, and right now I invite you to come into my life. Just pray that prayer online right here in this room, Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know that I've broken your commandments. I am a sinner, Lord. I need to be saved. Save me, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and give me your peace now and forever. And help me in just a moment to stand for you and to live for you in the power of your Holy Spirit as long as I live or until you come for me. And then for many of you who are worshiping with us today, this congregation, you're troubled, you're brokenhearted, you're struggling, there's chaos in your home, your family, your life, you're not at peace. Look to the Lord. Receive His peace today. May the Holy Spirit Dear one, give you his peace. Take it in. Lord, I don't know what to do, but I look to you. Give me your peace. Lord, thank you for this wonderful promise, for your peace that transcends the world, 
triumphant over every sin and every struggle in our lives. For this peace, we are eternally grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for worship at Prestonwood. As you heard earlier, if you made a decision for Christ, please text Jesus to 74788. We would love to connect with you and give you these great resources to help you grow in your faith. One is a New Believer's Bible with helpful notes to help you study God's Word. The other is a book by Pastor Jack Graham on the next steps to take as you pursue this new life in Christ. As we close, I'd like to thank you for your faithful giving to support Prestonwood and the work God is doing through our ministries. If you would like to give, text the word GIVE to 74788 or visit prestonwood.org give. It's been a joy worshiping with you, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.